0: So are you going through it through it all through it all what the 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 wind and the waves well they still know his name he's the orchestrator of events he's the creator i'm the created there are many things i do not understand that i never will just talking to the messengers here it's good to have them back i you know i honestly if he were if i were to ask god why that's an absurd question quite frankly because there's so many things that are going on in the in the totality of the order of the universe and the cosmos it's not a simple one-line answer there's just there's a million things going on as it relates and he integrates all of them <clears throat> even the tragedies the triumphs the ups and the downs and so to self-identify as a follower of Jesus is to expect just exactly what Jesus told us to expect and it that's going to be tribulation persecution Paul did I mean thrown outside the city beaten scourged you know and what was his response you're the created I'm the creator I walk into the destiny that you prescribe for me before the foundations of the earth and that sometimes involves suffering that's why Jesus told us to pick up our cross And follow him so the last number of weeks i your pastor has gone off on a wild tangent and i don't say that to say that we shouldn't have because what i try to do every single week anytime i'm up here anyway is just to say lord what what do you want to say to your people what what is it that you have in your heart for a community of followers how do i well how do i give the daily bread what does that look like in the context of this community and those who may be watching and so it just feels like we were supposed to camp on this this idea that Zacchaeus had a name that certainly did not describe him in the current situation his name means pure and somehow he was not living into that but the moment that he well he climbed up into that tree and was able to take a we'll get a good view of Jesus, and then Jesus looked at him specifically. And that's what's so important for you to get this morning is that Jesus does not look out just at, at the world and say, I came to save the world, and then you get kind of swept up into a, a throng of people and somehow you move like sheep. He knows. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows even when a sparrow falls. He he really, because all of the fullness of deity dwelled in bodily form he has the full capacity to understand to scrutinize our every way i i I don't know how that that makes sense in my mind but allow me to ask you a question would it make sense into in your mind a hundred years ago to even understand what something this tiny micro thin chips could hold uh, more volumes and books than, well, than any of the greatest libraries just on a tiny chip that you could put here in your pocket. I could put a hundred of those chips in my pocket. Would that have made any sense to you a hundred years ago? There are many things that we don't understand. And, and so some would say, well, that's just impossible. Well that's impossible. Well, of course it is in a, from human perspective. <laughs> How would you know all the details of everything that's going on in the, in the universe? If the created order can come up with AI, artificial intelligence and blow everybody's mind, you don't think that the creator of that created order doesn't isn't vastly superior in just being able to speak into existence out of nothing, the very the very form that we take, including our physical brains. Is it hard for you to understand what we looked at last week with Jeremiah 1, where he says, uh, says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, first of all, he's doing the forming, I knew you. I talked to you about that last week. I just, that, that just, I knew you before you were a conscious entity. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart to be on my side and i have called you as a prophet to the nations in that is identity and then calling now when i left last week it always I, i usually have conversations with people and there's still there's still i'm i'm sure some void between isaiah's experience and then maybe you walking out and going, well, what's my name? What is my English name? I I don't really know. And then over time, you maybe thought it was a good message or a bad message, but eventually you kind of, you move on to the next thing and you kind of forget. I One thing I did not want to pass up is an opportunity to have some specifics, some stories, if you will, some testimonies of what happens when you hear from God, your identity? What I mean, Jeremiah had a front row seat to God speaking to him, and I knew you, and I've consecrated you, I've set you apart, and what is it that you hear in your heart, and how does that actually work? Okay, it's one thing for a pastor, well, you know, pastor heard, you know, be a pastor. Well, yeah, that, that sounds like something God would say, but uh, remember, that's really not my identity. It's, a, it's, my, it's what I'm called to do. It's what I'm tasked to do. And sometimes those are interrelated, but there is a core identity. And for me, it might be that maybe for you, you might hear the Lord say something to the effect of, uh, I've created you with a servant heart, or I've created you to be a restorer, or someone who steps in, or I've created you to be a protector of people, or I've created... And then out of that oftentimes comes calling. But there is a functional identity that sets you apart that involves gifting and then will lead to your vocation or your position in in the context of a missional community or something that you just flow in it's not something that you try to drum up you absorb yourself in that but it's not something you try to ju- absorb you are so passionate about that i'm i'm just i'm always fascinated when i run into people that have such a servant heart they're they're always thinking of others they're constantly they're just they're always at the hospital they're always being concerned, I think of our lay pastor, Richard Coe, as an example, just every time I've ever tried to go to a hospital, I either watch him coming out or going in or Richard was just here or so. I've just It's just unbelievable. And I see facets of his true identity, which is humble, servant-hearted, mercy-driven guy, and then out of that comes some kind of positioning in the context of our church. How do you get that? How do you know that? How do you flow in that? If you're young here and you, you, you're watching, you, you, it may then involve your, your vocation, what you actually do. In Jamie's case, it was to be a police officer. He's gonna describe that. So uh, thank you, McNatz, for sending that to me. I watched it, I shared it with the executive team. I said, I, I want the church, and by extension, those who are watching, I want you to see this. This was an interview that was done here not long ago in Dallas or I think it was in Dallas, by Jenny Allen. She's, uh, she has her own ministry, and I asked their permission, and then I called Jamie, talked to him extensively, and he said, man, absolutely, go for it. So we're gonna play this, about 30 minutes, and then, boy, the second half of this, the story of his son and his identity, and uh, it kinda, you know, is it calling or is it identity? It gets a little confusing, but the point is, it's this is the kind of life that you want Who doesn't want an adventure? I mean, you want to be on an adventure. You want to see the miraculous. You want to participate in the mystical, not new age, weird. I'm talking about an unseen reality. You want to walk effectively in the unseen realm. And when Jamie was here describing some of their stories, that's why it's gotten 18,000 views. Well, this is another great story. And uh, well, let's watch.
1: Well, very rarely have we brought in guests and said, we have to do three shows with them. But Jamie Winship, who you're gonna hear from today was one of those people. And I was just telling him that the reason he's here and he's actually in the studio today, the reason he's here is because this summer during my sabbatical, someone sent me three very rough, (laughs) rough podcasts (laughs) that he was a part of. It was a youth retreat and somehow there was a live squirrel in the middle of the audience and y'all had to keep getting interrupted. There were technical issues, but it still was some of the most transforming content I've really ever heard. And so if you, if you need a comparison for who this guy is, the only one I can give you is, and I know you call other people this, but he's like James Bourne. He, he has ended up in war zones again and again and again, and I will let him tell the story, but, but I know, um, Jamie, I I, I won't even try to attempt to tell people what you do, but, mm-hmm. but what for the last few years have you been doing that led you to all these places?
0: in the last
2: few years. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I'm thinking back, you were a policeman. That's right, how this yeah. all started. Should yeah, yeah. we start there? Yeah,
2: that's probably easier to Let's understand do that. how because the, you know, the beautiful thing about life, life is such a beautiful mystery, and if and and God is the, is the one who leads us into this mystery, which humans really love as mystery. And so if you'll just follow him as he says to the young disciples, follow me and I will make you to become. That's what he says to them. I will make you to become fishers of men. And so it's when we look at our lives, the, the, the goal is to follow. And Jesus is the one who does the making and becoming mm. part of it as we follow him. So I, uh, I wanted to be a police officer. I'm from Washington, D.C. And I wanted to be a police officer because when I was in eighth grade, we weren't allowed to go to movies. Um, in my family. And so I just decided in eighth grade that I was going to go see what was so uh, bad about movies. And I snuck into this movie and it was a, a movie about a police officer. I had no idea what the movie was going to be about. I just wanted to see what's the big deal about movies. And it was this Academy Award winning movie about a New York City police officer. And And I watched it and something inside of me just exploded. And I didn't know how to describe it, but it made me weep. And I knew that I was being challenged and called and named in the in the story, the narrative of the movie. And it was so powerful to me that at the end of the movie, I went forward in the movie theater, because in my mind, culturally, you know, in a church where the church I grew up in, it didn't count to God unless you went forward. And so everyone was leaving and I went forward and I sit up on the little stage in the theater looking up at the lights, crying. And I just said to God, I know I'm supposed, this is who I'm supposed to be. It wasn't what I was supposed to do. It was who I was supposed to be. And I, in eighth grade, and so from that day forward, uh, every decision I made, was based on what I felt I was supposed to be. And so I I wouldn't make I wouldn't, you know, if my friends were shoplifting or whatever, wouldn't be involved in it not because I was religious or spiritual, but because I was driven by this sense of being and I knew that one day I'd be on a polygraph and so I didn't want Wow. Right? So so anyway, so then that's what led me, you know, through my life and in um on the way Age seventeen, I meet this. I'm um, in the hospital having knee surgery from a wrestling incident, and I meet this amazing nurse, who um, is the person who really walked me into faith in Christ. Just, just this incredible woman. I don't know her name. Never been able to find her ever again, mm-hmm. but she spent five days pouring into me, and that's a very beautiful story. And again, it was more like at seventeen, I recognized something about this woman. I knew she was a, a single mom from West Virginia that worked her way through nursing school at night. I knew that about her, but the way she would talk to me, she I I recognized she was more than just a nurse. She was she was bringing something to me from herself that was deeper than her vocation. And so I had this and she would talk to me about my bitterness which was just astounding to me. And I would cuss her out and I would yell at her and she would leave and she would come back the next day like we'd never met and she would start again with this love. And I realized her love is stronger than my anger. Her love for me, who and I'm a stranger to her, is greater than my anger aimed at her. And so my prayer was when I was finally released from the hospital after five days, and I'm sure she thought I was just a total waste of time because I never responded to her, but God knows. And I was going home from the hospital and I said to God, could you teach me how to be a police officer like she's a nurse? Mm. I didn't, She's there were lots of nurses in that hospital. There were lots of doctors. She was something deeper than that vocation. And I knew that she was bringing her identity into her vocation, not getting her identity from her vocation. And I realized that's how I wanted to be a police officer. Went to university, met more amazing people, and then graduated and went into the police academy um, dream come true, 23 years old, married, newly married. And I get into the police department and I realize very quickly that this is not going to be like the movie, right? (laughs) Right. That this is a very different dark world that, that, that the men and women that I worked with in the police department were just as broken and fractured as anyone we encountered on the street, you know? And, um, we, we had the same issues that people we were dealing with. and so in that process, I started to ask God the question is can, is it possible to learn another way of policing that wasn't taught in the academy? And I, I didn't know, does God answer those kind of prayers? How would God answer those kind of prayers? Does God know anything about police work? Right. Does God know what to say in the middle of a domestic dispute or in the middle of a homicide investigation? What's the role of the Holy Spirit and all of that? I just didn't know where to go to learn that. And so I just started, I kept a little notebook and I just started asking God questions. And I would wait to see in how he would answer and how I would know it. Hmm. And I just started experimenting on the street in my job and i became astounded by how quickly and beautifully the lord would um you know it's the mind of christ it's like what the mind of christ really is it's it's my mind in the and christ linked and the and i'm a temple of the father son and holy spirit and i'm in union i'm abiding in christ what does that mean for a police officer on the <laughs> street and so i started to I started to bring my identity into my vocation like that. And that's how I got started into this whole journey.
1: Well, and it worked. And so you were recruited many times, I know, for the CIA. Mm. You felt like you did not want to leave because you felt pretty convicted that you are a police officer. That's right. what you do. That's right. But then some at some point that shifted and and you were overseas. Talk about that that transition and what Yeah. What was the right change?
2: Yeah, well, so like the first time, yeah, that first time that interview occurred with the CIA, I was 19, actually, and um, in university. And and I just went through the regular um, application process and I zipped through it for some reason and went to D.C. to be interviewed and all that. And they offered me a job and I and I was just surprised. And I said, well, no, really what I really want to be is a police officer. And the, the, the agent that was recruiting me, she said, I don't think you understand how, what, how high level this position is compared to a police officer. And I said to her, "That no, that's not how I think about it. I'm not seeking a high position. I'm seeking to be what I believe God wants me to be, not the job, but that part that, of who I am. And so I turned it down. But I went through the whole process. You know, I went through everything they did, all of their testing and everything. And then, then, so then into the police department and just learning these things, learning how to hear God, how, learning how God works in how fast does God answer prayer, this kind of thing. And then in my fifth year in the police department, um, I get a phone call from a magistrate at, at night and he calls me and he says, I want you to come meet with me and another person I want to introduce you to in this restaurant in downtown DC. And I go to meet and it's it's an operations guy from the CIA and he's mm-hmm. he has a folder in front of him on the table in this restaurant and he's flipping through it and it's cases i've worked through the 5 years and he says to me how are you tell me that your thought process and how you work these cases he said because i know nobody in the academy trained you how to do this so, where did you learn how to think this way can you articulate it and can you teach another person and I was 28 <laughs> at the time, so and then you're
1: like I prayed and God yeah. told me to do this, <laughs> and,
2: and I told him I said I don't think you're going to like the process I go through to come up with this kind of stuff, and he said he and it was interesting. He said I don't really care about the process. I I I can see the result, and that impacted me because Jesus said it. It's by our fruit that people know. It's not by our words and our speeches, but it's really by the result, right? That that people identify us as real believers. And so, um, so I articulated, He I mean, he would pick a case and go, what'd you do here? And I would say, like, like you just said, I would say, well, in that situation, I knew training wise what to do, but I knew that wouldn't work. So then I would pray and I would ask God, what, what, would, what do you want me to know about this situation that I don't know? And what do you want me to do? And I would listen and wait and I would have ideas and I would write them down and I would try them and then I in this case and I would explain to him. Then I did this and I knew how to contact this guy and then what to say to this guy and it worked. And that's when he said, Yeah. He goes, Yeah, I don't I don't like that process. <laughs> but then he came back again to the results and he said, but it works. It works. Right. And so he's then he said, let me give you a real life scenario that we're working and he laid out this situation that they were trying to figure out overseas that they weren't able to they, they couldn't figure out how to work forward in it, and they had already lost a person in the process. And he said, what would you do? Tell me what you would do. And so I there, I don't know, it was about 11 PM in, in this restaurant in DC, and I just leaned back and I said to the Lord, okay, what, would, what do you want me to know? And what would you do in this scenario that this guy just laid out? How, how would I think about it? What's the right way to think about it? And then I just wait. Um, for the ideas we, it's like hearing from God is fixing your eyes on Jesus, asking him a question and waiting for the answer. That's all it is. The free flow of thoughts that go through your mind when you fix your eyes on Jesus and ask him a question. One of my questions was, how fast can Jesus answer? Do I have to light a candle? Do I have to have a six-hour quiet time to get God to respond to me? And he's with us all the time. It's the most beautiful, astounding thing. And he's, he's always there. He's always with us. And so I just asked. And I had an idea. And I said to the... Operations guy, I said, "Well, I think your whole paradigm is just wrong, wrong from the beginning." What I would do is get rid of this paradigm and build a new paradigm. And he said, "What paradigm?" And I told him what I would do, and he just took a napkin and wrote a dollar figure on it and slid it across. And he said, "Would this get you're hired? This is the figure. Will this get you?" And that's that was how they <laughs> uh, offered me a job. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, I want to pause
1: you right mm-hmm. there because you, you've hinted at now something that, that I walked away with from the three mm. episodes that I listened to from you at the little youth camp. And one of the things that really changed the way I do life coming back from sabbatical was were those two questions. God, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? It was right. so simple. And I, I have really changed the way I do life and ministry because of that. And it has brought me back into work in a much more um, calm, relaxed way, because I don't feel the pressure to come up with everything all the time. I really, and I'm teaching my Mm -hmm. team. I'm like, this is just what we're going to do all the time. Anytime we get to a problem, anytime we get to anything, we're just going to say, God, what do you want us to know? And what do you want us to do? And we're going to trust that as we work through that problem together, that he's leading us and and giving us the answers. And it just, it's taken so much pressure off of leadership. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Because otherwise it's all on you. It's all on me. Right. And, and um, these, these interesting words, the word responsibility, the word responsibility doesn't exist in any language before the Industrial Revolution. It's that the word responsibility is not in scripture, nowhere. And neither is the, is the idea of expectations, responsibility mm-hmm. and expectations. And those two words drive us into bondage because um, responsibility and expectation produce failure. Mm-hmm. And 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 a bur- and burden, and so what we do, what we do see in Scripture is the ability to respond. Mm-hmm. That's what we have. We have the ability to respond to God, but God's not calling us and saying, Carry I want- this burden." Right? He's not saying, "Follow me." <laughs> and he
1: never taught me that. If can, anything, they showed me the opposite.
2: That's right. Can you imagine Jesus saying to the disciples, "And here's your list of responsibilities and expectations." He he never does that to people. Mm. He he's saying. I'm, you have the ability to respond to my invitation. Will you say yes or no? And what are we supposed to expect? David said, King David says it in Psalm 27. He says, "He says, expect the Lord. What are your expectations when you go into this scenario and this Muslim context? We expect the Lord. What's your expectations? We expect the Lord. And, and when you're reading through scripture and, wow. and he's invite challenging Gideon and Moses and all these ones, And they all say the same thing. We're not capable. We're not old enough. The idea doesn't make any sense. You don't know who Pharaoh is. You don't know who I am. This is the typical way humans respond to God in in his invitation. And his answer is always, am I not going to be with you? Hmm. Like you talk about this, like it's all on you. you. Am I not the one sending you? That's always his response. And because it's really what we don't believe You know, it's, it's okay. The Lord's inviting me and then he, I don't know where he's going to stay, but I'm going to go and it's all going to be on me. And as soon as you believe that you're actually separating yourself from God in that false belief.
1: Well, one of the things you talk a lot about is identity. In fact, you've written a book about it. And, and I don't know, I'm just going to say right now, I don't know that I agree. Like we need to talk about your definition of it because yeah. the whole time I was listening, I would have used the word calling. Mm-hmm. I would have used the mm-hmm. word, you know, with, like the police officer thing. I wouldn't have ever put that into my identity, but right. but it's deeper than that, I think, right. for you. Talk a little bit about what you mean by identity.
2: Well, think of calling as doing, identity is being, and being always informs doing always. Being always precedes doing. And so Jesus says a good tree produces good fruit. So the ontology, the being of the tree is goodness. And what it does is produces good fruit. If the ontology or the essence of the tree is evil, it can only produce bad fruit. What we concentrate too much on is the fruit. Mm. Instead of, Instead of being so, if so, it, it, when you when you're trying to understand what is God like, the, it, the question is what's the ontology of God? What is God first? If you don't understand who God is, you'll never understand what He does or or why it's done. It won't make any sense to you. So we have this this beautiful. If God, what's the identity of God? God is love. Mm. God is love. So everything that comes out of God. His calling in the world comes from the being of love. And so then when we watch Jesus as the exact representation of the invisible God, we know that Jesus has come out of love. And then when Jesus is baptized and he's being commissioned into ministry and the advent of the spirit, he receives his identity from God. And it's not what he's going to do. It's who he is. It's not his calling of Messiah, it's who he is. This is my son. This is this is the son, the beloved son, the one, the son that I'm pleased in. This is who this is. The vocation of this, the doing of this being is Messiah, is lamb of God, is take away the sin of the world. But who can there were many messiahs Many messiahs came in that vocation, but they weren't the true identity of the one to be messiah, right, Mm -hmm. to enact that vocation. So I'm a police officer, that's my calling, that's my vocation, that's what I'm doing, but my identity precedes it. That, for the reason for that is, what if I can't be a police officer anymore? Then I have nothing. And this is what destroys people, good people, Um, especially in police and special forces and the NFL and these places where your whole calling is your identity. It can't be because the calling wasn't there before the identity. The identity is what God, God knit together in your mother's womb. You, not a calling you, Mm -hmm. and that you, that identity will, will move towards specific callings because of who you are
1: today I want you to close with this story about your son. And, and I know that for, for many people listening, if you don't know, he's going to end up going overseas a lot and and taking your family into Mm -hmm. literally moments where the whole country's falling apart. Right. So I want to give you that preface before you hear the story, but, but let's close with this story. So talk about, yeah, your son, he was, you were heading into sixth grade with him
2: yeah he was so he was going into sixth grade and um he'd never been in the us in a school and so he i told him you know you can you can go to public school or private school or home school whatever you want to do i want you to just ask the lord what he wants you to know and do and so even a fifth grader can do that and so he did and he said i want to go to public school and we're like okay that's why because i want to be with kids that don't know christ okay so moving to this place in and it's, a, it's a, a very rough middle school, very difficult. And he gets beat up and robbed the first day. <laughs> and he comes home and he's, uh, I'm thinking I didn't hear God correctly. <laughs> and we it, it's interesting. And I said, well, no, that's not how it works. Because just because the Lord invites you into something doesn't mean it's just the easiest thing you've ever done. Wow. Like that's not true. And so as a parent... I couldn't, we couldn't just pull him out of the school and go, yeah, God made a mistake because it was hard and there were mean people there. Like that's that would be to to give him a false view of God and the world. And so I said to him, listen, when, when you ask God a question and God invites you into something and you say, yes, obedience is to hear and respond, to hear and respond. And that's greater than sacrifice. So we're gonna stay the whole school year, but you know, I'm gonna teach you how to fight. I'm gonna teach you how to protect yourself <laughs> and all that good stuff. <clears throat> but you need to stay. And it was a, it was a amazing year for him. It was very hard and he was so beautiful how he dealt with it. But one of the things we were praying about is, you know, God, what is his unique identity? And, um, cause, because the Lord will tell him not me. And so the, I think one of the greatest things you can teach your children is how to, is how to hear from God and to know who they are. If they can hear from God and know who they are, they can go anywhere and they'll be fine. Um, so anyway, he comes to me one day and he says I, "He says in sixth grade, I know my identity in the kingdom. And I said, great, what is it? And he said, I'm a skateboarder for Jesus. And I said, okay, okay well, hmm, I didn't really think of that kind of identity, but okay. <laughs> All right, we'll start there. And I said, do you have a skateboard? And he said, no. And I said, well, so let's get a skateboard. So we get him this you know, cheap skateboard. And he goes out in the driveway and he just starts working on skateboarding. And he's, he's, you know, frankly, awful. He just falls all the time. And I'm like, wow, this is going to be a hard identity to work out because he's not very coordinated, but, but he really, he's, he's just sticks with it and he loves it. And, and if, if, if he's like, dad, if you don't fall, you don't learn. I'm like, wow. Just if you learn that lesson in life, great. And he keeps going and he actually gets pretty good. And by eighth grade, he's quite good. And, um, and then I know that we're going to get, sent to baghdad and so i'm gonna break it to him that we're gonna be sent overseas
1: and just for context this is in the middle of the war right Right. (laughs)
2: 2003 and four Yeah. yeah and so and i know our team's gonna get sent and so i tell him one day hey listen we're gonna move to baghdad and um you know this is what we're gonna do next and we're gonna be there for a while and he says to me isn't there a war going on there and i said yeah and he said so there's not probably not any skateboarding there and I said I'm sure there's not. And he was devastated and he said to me, "Dad, you know my identity. How can you take me to a place where I cannot become who I'm supposed to be?" And I went, "Oh, I was I was like, wow." And then I said, "Let's me and you both pray about this because this is this won't be how God works this out. This will work out, but let's both pray about it. So we did for five days and then he came back to me, he's eighth grader. And he says, he says, okay, dad, I believe that God's saying to me to just trust you, trust you as my dad. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go with joy and I'm not going to question it or anything. And and so I'm just going to go with this. And I said, I think that's great. And I think the Lord, the Lord told me that he has your identity in mind. And that somehow Baghdad is a good idea, Mm. right? And so we go and we get there and he um, brings his skateboard. And because the war is on raging and we live in the central Baghdad, we don't, we're not military. So we don't live on a military base. We have to live in the population and negotiate with the population and difficult, but so on certain times of day, he could get out and skateboard in the street. And um, one day he's skateboarding in the street and this, M1 tank comes zipping around. A M1 tank is this massive piece of armored vehicle. Comes down the street and they drive really fast. And he's skateboarding down the street and he has long blonde hair. And the tank sees him and they they hit the brakes. And they, the top p- pops open and this American National Guardsman looks at him And he goes, who are you? Who are you, kid? Who are you? And our son says, yeah, I'm an American. We live over there. My parents work for the government. And uh, the guy says... The guy says, hold on a second. And then he goes back down and he comes back. He climbs all the way out. And it's a National Guard team from California. <laughs> and they're all skateboarders. <laughs> and they're so excited. And so we have this picture of both our youngest, that son and our other son, our older son, um, skateboarding with this, this National Guardsman while the other guys are guarding the tank, which I'm sure isn't against protocol. But then Caleb, this, our youngest son, goes in, goes in the house after that happens. And he writes an article for uh, a skateboarding magazine. We didn't know he did this. And he sends it to the skateboarding magazine, and they publish it. It's called Skate Baghdad. Was the name of the article.
1: So these guys, yeah. then tell your kid what?
2: They tell him that that they're guarding the park at night so up across the street from where we live. There's a park in central Baghdad that's about like it's like um, Central Park in New York City. It's huge. It has a zoo in it. And it has all these fountains, <clears throat> excuse me, but the fountains are empty because of the war.
1: Perfect skateboard. So it's
2: like a dream skate park, <laughs> and there's nobody in it, and it's guarded by these tanks. And so the tank team says, "We we're guarding the gate, you know, in the afternoons and in the evening. If you want to come in here and skate, you can." And so again, we have these pictures of him going in there. So so we go over there one of these days and walk by the tank guys into the park. And all these Iraqi young people you know, that the war's on and there's nothing to do, everything's closed. They come into the park, they let them into the park and, and we have filmed this video of Caleb and Ben, our other son, skateboarding in these empty pools and fountains, teaching these Iraqi kids how to skateboard mm. and handing out skateboards that the um, skate magazine had sent them as payment for the article. And he starts this skate club in Baghdad
1: during the war, during the
2: war, and it was, and they could only skate at certain times. It was the funniest thing, and the Iraqi Iraqi kids had never seen anything, hadn't seen skateboarding because because they've been under a boycott for ten years and had no internet or anything, so they had no access to the outside world. So it was this, and so Caleb was just in heaven mm. in that, and then later when we got moved out to to Jordan after our um, job in Baghdad was finished. We got moved over to Jordan and Caleb immediately, by then he was in 11th grade. And he, we move over into Jordan and he immediately goes downtown Amman, Jordan with his skateboard right in the center of the downtown. And there's like, uh, there's an island where cars drive around and, and rails and stairwells. And he just starts skating up and down and the policemen come over to him the Jordanian police officers. And they're like, what is, what are you doing? What is this? And Caleb's like, this is skateboarding. And they're like, who are you? And he said, I'm an American. My parents work for the government. And they said, we like, we like what you're doing. And they stop the traffic. They divert the traffic away from this area. So Caleb is free to skateboard and Caleb comes home and he's like, dad, I'm in heaven. The police here are not preventing me from skateboarding they're making it so I can skateboard wow. it's unbelievable the next day he goes back and there's a group of Jordanian kids with skateboards waiting to skate with him and they begin skating there every day and one day a Red Bull representative is visiting them on Jordan and she stops and she sees Caleb grinding a rail skateboarding and she gets out and she walks up to him and says who are you and, you know he says his thing and she says we're looking for um, to sponsor our first uh, skateboarder in the Middle East, would you like to be the one? And he's <laughs> like, yep. And then they have their first Middle East competition and he wins it. And then he goes on, he starts a skateboard company and the King of Jordan gave him land for a skate park in Jordan. So, and then he ends up going I to mean, business school. So, my, you know, that he always says when people ask him, like, if God says you're a skateboarder for Jesus and then tells you to move to Baghdad, you move to Baghdad as wow. fast as you can. Ugh
1: that story i just i I know everybody listening right now is going well what is my identity what does it look like for me i've never had god tell me that what would you say to them to pray and i know we'll be back again next week but
2: so uh, just it's just simply to ask spend some time in quiet and it's a bit of a process but simply just to say to to in prayer just ask the lord what do you call me when you talk about me what do you say about me if you were going to wake me up in the middle of the night, what would what would you what name would you call out to wake me up? That's distinct in me from anyone else
0: you've ever made. What would you call me? Mm. It's so beautiful. Is that a true story or not a true story? It's a true story. I mean, this is this. What Jesus wants is he wants us to replicate this. Is there risk involved in following Jesus? Absolutely. Is there mystery in following Jesus? Absolutely. I mean, it's so easy to come in and read these stories and they feel antiquated at times and you know, you're kind of like, yeah, 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 and I've heard the story and Noah and this and that. And then you you, you so separate that, we have a tendency to, I don't say you, we have a tendency to separate ourselves from the dramatic and the, the extraordinary, I mean, if you think about it, the real action, much of the real action in the church has happened after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. I mean, this is in the church age. This is where we go into the world proclaiming the gospel and seeing people move out of darkness and into light. I mean, you don't think that's going to require that kind of activity in the hearts and the lives of men and women? How do you? Are we going to be real when we talk about reaching the Coachella Valley and seeing people come out of darkness and into light and believing in Jesus and flourishing in their life? Do we really think that's going to happen by you know up here and whatever? I'm in a robe or this or that, and we do this, and everybody's like da 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 da. And you're about to have communion. They come up and the, da 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 da, and I get it. And you feel it's almost like an obligatory thing. It's like Paul. Like Paul told Timothy. He said, in the last day, many are going to hold to a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power. The power is always the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is unwieldy from our perspective. Would you agree? I mean, the Holy Spirit is inviting us into a dramatic and wild, well, but it starts with who you are. Again, I love that at the end. What is God, when God talks about you, what does he say about you? He wants to speak that to you. He wants you to know what, what your identity in him is. And then out of that ontological reality, as Jamie was alluding to, come the doing. And it will always produce fruit. And, and I love this of all the things that I loved, and I love a lot about that, it takes the pressure off. You know, some people come to me and said, you know, you're just you're just ridiculous, golf pro backswing watcher and this and that, and you know, what what kind of business do you have in planting the church or, you know, and you look at our team and we've got a few people that have some experience in this and and the property on, you know, 49th and Jefferson and, and building a church and raising money and, you know, and post-COVID world and all that. And I'm like, crazy, crazy, check, 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 yes, but we only really have one task i I don't feel people say you must feel a lot of weight on that lose sleep at night i lose zero sleep at night zero of course i have aspirations of course i would love to see us finish the financing and see that i can't wait and it will happen i can't wait to see that shovel go in the ground and i can't wait to see the first stage and then eventually the main sanctuary and i can't wait to see the people who find themselves driving down jefferson and just like what's driving me into the you know just you know almost feeling led to walk i can't wait for those moments and for families to be restored and for people to not have any fear of death anymore and to see marriages flourish i can't wait to see that but it was all absurd when it all started what do you think god says about you when he talks about you i'm gonna ask you again you say well i don't know so just give you a little sense just a tiny fraction here at the end you know i think about what i what i naturally am attuned to like he was watching that thing being a police officer and he starts weeping and goes up. <laughs> i've had experiences like that you know one of the things that i've always thought about myself and i think it's what god says i you know what i am i in some ways i'm a tour guide I really do i mean i can't wait to always people would come i live in the desert people never been there oh i'll take you everywhere and we'll go and it's, i've just always some people are like well just get a rent card and go out and look i don't care i just love to take people through tours i don't know what i don't even know if, is that an identity i mean i basically what i do with you is that things i think are exciting about this or the kingdom or the what god's called us to do i just come up here and try to take you on a tour I mean, that's what i'm doing this morning i'm a tour guide into the unseen realm of the reality of jesus i'm trying to take this from a, a a book on a shelf collecting dust and bring it down is the word and actually eat it that's what communion is the blood atones and and what we're doing is we're eating christ is what we started off the fullness of the fullness of God lived in bodily form, and now we partake of that fullness, and it comes into us, and the language of 1 Corinthians 2, 17, I believe it is, and others, we now have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. What do you do in any situation? You expect the Lord. How do? How, how, what do you guys do? What are the elders and the trustees? How do you make these decisions? We ask the Lord what he wants us to know, and we ask him what he wants us to do. And then we just, okay, and we come into unity in that, and we make a decision, and then we go to the next thing. And we don't have to read 8,000 books on everything every other church has ever done in the history of the world and, and what's a great protocol. Oh Yeah, I mean, we have a basic template in the Word, and it doesn't deviate from the Spirit of the Word, but there's a lot of room for, you know, following the Spirit. That's what we've really been turned over to. See, don't you want that kind of life? I'm going to ask you again, don't, do you want that? It's kind of scary but it's exhilarating i'd love to maybe we'll have his son here caleb one day and said well tell us about what's been going on since then i mean i just but these should be all of our experiences maybe they're not as dramatic as going into a a war zone (laughs) meeting the king of jordan and all that but in god's eyes they're just as dramatic and collectively our calling is just as dramatic here in the coachella valley it really is it's just as profound don't hold back ask the Lord ask the Lord so why don't we do this in synchronicity with communion today so uh, if you have your elements let's just raise them uh, if it's uh, we'll we'll do first we'll do first the blood okay We'll, we'll do first the blood. So uh, for those of you who are new to this, if you're not a Jesus person, ask just to say, Jesus, come into my life. Live in me. I receive you as Savior. And now you're ready. If you haven't done that, you can do that. And if not, you can. I, I don't mind if you do it, but you're going to want to believe it. So we take this. And first of all, well, we need to be made right with God. That's all this really is. The blood of the atonement. And Mike did this beautifully a couple of weeks ago. Is at one, we become at one with we become one with God again, not through our stuff, through his, through his, well, through his calling, as Jamie put it, right. So uh, let's do that. The blood of the atonement, just to make sure you know that you're okay, you're adopted into the kingdom. Okay. Now let's let's take now with this as we'll do this together today rather than just have this be a symbol of something that some people don't really understand if we're going to take some of this and we're going to say okay all right i i I, now we're going to take this is a picture symbolically of his of his flesh right uh jesus said in john 6 you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to be have a part of me now we don't necessarily hold to this. This is the literal blood, uh, flesh of Jesus. Some of you may have that as your background, but this is certainly a symbol of the, of the very body of Jesus. Now, what are we doing symbolically when we do this? We're taking the, all the fullness, dwelled in bodily form, the deity of God, because we're atoned for. Without the atonement it doesn't work. They'll just start eating. A lot of people are out there eating Jesus, but they've not been atoned for because they don't believe in his death, burial, and resurrection vicariously for them. So this would be without any effect. But once we're atoned for, now we've gone through the red door, hence church at the red door. We've walked through the red door. Now we're ready to eat of his, well, of his very being. It's the word, it's his body, but it's also the identity that he has for you. Ask the Lord as we take this today. Help me understand who I am, who You created me to be, and now who You want to be in me. And let's let's partake. Has that been sitting around for months? Was that new just to today? It was on sale that broke. Okay, it. Okay. I just didn't know if that was a prop, and that we use that every week for the last seven years. I was like, <laughs> now, so. So please understand, this has real import. We're not just here thinking about little religious, holding to a form, but denying the power. As you took that bread, you're taking the very life of Jesus on the inside of you, and he merges that with the the very, you're creating his image and his identity and now, you say, okay, Lord, I give my body a living sacrifice. You take me wherever you want me to go, using the very gifts and the, and the identity that you've given me even before I was a conscious entity. What's that going to look like? Pursue it with all your heart. And that's what, that's what Church of the Red Door should be, a community of people that are pursuing with all of their heart, both their individual identities but then you bring us all together and all the deficits I have are made up by all the beauty that you have and maybe you have a deficit in an area to understand the word or something and then Paul brings a message or somebody or or a study or a class that you're going to or something and you're made whole, we're made whole together together. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So I didn't want to just have this be a theological exercise in understanding that, you know, Jeremiah was called and known before the foundations of the earth. What import does this have for us? It's very significant. And it's for you to be able to walk in an extravagant, beautiful adventure with Jesus in combination with a collective community so that we can pour out our lives and see people come to know Jesus. That's church, and if it's not that, I'm bored. I'm bored, and you don't wanna see me bored. And I don't wanna see you bored. This is life-giving, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Bless Jamie, he's just got a beautiful way to articulate identity and understanding. I pray for He and Donna and their ministry around the world and the doors that you've been opening. I heard the other day that they were speaking to 5,000 church administrators in one in one sitting just about identity. Lord, he's done thing in city governments and thing. And Lord, that that people that were not just some random chance. Bless the Lord. Oh my soul, when I think about Jamie and what you've done in He and Donna, Lord, I thank you for the connection that Church at the Red Door has with them as they've poured into us and the impact that that's had. Lord, I thank you for this community this morning. I thank you for the privilege of walking with this community, both here and extended, certainly this time of year, extended on out through those who may be watching live stream or who watch later in the week. Lord, I thank you that we can come together as one unified whole unique and, and beautifully precious individual callings coming together as an orchestra. Lord, I pray that the, the, symph- the symphony of Church at the Red Door rises out of the bleak landscape that is at sometimes the Coachella Valley, and that, Lord, people are look up to you and they see the beautiful fruit and the music that is coming out of a yielded people. Lord, if there's somebody here and they just don't know their identity, they just have never even thought in those terms, I'm just going to ask you, just take this moment and then wait and listen over the coming week. Lord, who do you say that I am? Who am I? What is my being? What is my identity? And then just listen. Lord, speak. Anybody that would pray that, Lord, just speak. Speak to them in the deepest recesses of their soul. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that engages your creation through Jesus and his blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you had a good time this morning. Wasn't that a great, that a great story? Um, who knows what we'll be doing next week, but it'll be great. All right? Love you guys. Have a great, great day. Sunday.